welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for this wonderful gift you've given us in your word. Prophet Jeremiah says, Let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. And and the prophet also said, you said through the prophet, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Lord, your word is a fire. Lord, we pray that your word would today melt our resistance to you. Lord, we pray that you would warm our hearts today by your word, by this fire that is your word. It's purifying fire, this warming fire, this, this fire that cleanses. We pray to have all those works this morning, Lord, through your word. We know, Lord, that your word is a hammer, and we pray, Lord, that your word would break hard hearts this morning, hearts of stone, that hearts that are stony and hardened towards you would become alive, living hearts beating with love for you. Father, this book, your word, has a mysterious power that no other book has. Your word, when we read it, it's a book that we don't just read it, it reads us. Lord, it says in Hebrews that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division between soul and of spirit and joints and a marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and that no creature, including us, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we have to do. And we just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that work of your word as your spirit uses your word to, to divide our hearts, to to expose our hearts, to show us who we really are, Lord. It is unsettling, it's disturbing, it's disruptive, but it's exactly what we need. Lord, your word often tells us things that we don't want to hear, but that we need to hear. We pray that you do that this morning. We pray, Lord, that the things that we hear, you would give us a desire to love, that we would love it, we desire to obey your word, we desire to yield to your word because it's, it's yielding to you. So we pray, Lord, disrupt us with your word. Arrest us with your word. Give us clarity about who we are and who you are. Most importantly, who you are and what you've done in Jesus Christ to make all things new. Lord, your word promises in Jeremiah that you would put your law in our hearts, that you would write it in our hearts, that you would be our God and that we would be your people. You promised that no longer would one person say to his neighbor, know the Lord, for we will all know you. You promised that you would forget our iniquity and remember our sin no more. And so, Lord, as we open your word, those are the promises we're claiming this morning. Those are the promises we're calling upon for you to grant to us, Lord. Put your word in our hearts. May we truly know you. We pray, Lord, that you would remember our sins no more. We've come here with many different sins and failings, things we've left undone that we should have done, things that we've done that we ought not to have done. And so we pray, Lord, forgive us our sins based on Jesus and his work and his death for us. You've said, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so those who are here who have taken that promise, Lord, we come before you Uh, Not in an expectation of judgment or gloom, but in an expectation that we are your kids and you want to speak to us and breathe life into us. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in a series in James. And James, as you guys are finding, is an amazing book. It's amazing aesthetically, like it's an aesthetically beautiful thing. 
this book of James. And I can't even go into all the wordplay that's in here and all the illustrations and all the just amazing things he does with language in here, but it's aesthetically beautiful. And it's amazing because it's wonderfully practical, and we found that too, right? Wonderfully practical. We saw the uh, first week, we did an overview. The second week, we, James showed us how to endure trials. Then last week, he talked about how to endure temptations. And then this week, James wants to get very specific with us about a particular temptation, and the particular temptation is anger. And so we're going to be in verses 19 through 21. And verse 19 starts off in kind of an interesting way. It starts with this, know this. And you're thinking, know what? Well, if you look at the text here, what comes right after the know this is a command. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that it's know this and then this is what you need to do. He, he wants us to, to camp on some particular truths, and I think they're the truths that come before. And so those truths that we saw before last week were uh, that we should know the deceitfulness of our own desires, and you see that in verses 13 through 15, and we need to see the goodness of God, verses 17 through 18. That's what we looked at last week. We looked at how deceitful our own desires are, and it's very important for us to understand that we can't trust our own hearts, that, that God um, is showing us that we inside are complicated, deceptive, even to ourselves. And then secondly, we looked at how good God is. God is good in his gifts, and I think all of us that are here, no matter where you are with God in your, in your journey, you would say that God has been good to you in his gifts. God is good in his person and who he actually is. He's good. And he's good in his works in us and in the world. And so I think the flow here is knowing the deceptiveness of your own desires and knowing the goodness of God. Verse 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Which, guys, is the way we always make progress. Anytime we make progress in Christ-likeness, it's because we have had a deeper knowledge of our own sinful desires and the goodness of God. The Christian life is really about two things. It's about repenting and receiving. It's always about repenting and receiving. Coming to Him is about repenting and receiving. It's about repenting of our sin and receiving the goodness that is in Jesus. But then all of our growth is that way too, isn't it? We're constantly needing to repent of our sin and receive God's goodness again. And so we want to see how that applies here in verse 19. Take a look at it. Knowing, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You can see in that text, we have something to repent of and something to receive. First, we have something to repent of. Something uh, The scriptures often will dig into the sinfulness of sin. And sometimes we can kind of think, man, it's kind of overdoing it. You know, just tell me what the sin is. You don't have to kind of go on and on about it. But actually, it's very important sometimes for us to really dig into the sinfulness of sin. What I mean by that is, he says in verse 21, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. If we're going to really turn from our sin, we actually have to do the work to see the filthiness of it, to see the wickedness of it. Because if we don't do that, we probably will never turn from it. And so when I dig in here to the sin of anger, this is the intention here is not to wallow. That we're just going to kind of wallow in our own sinfulness. That's not the intention. The intention here is for us to see clearly what this sin is so we won't want to have anything to do with it. Because he says in this text, he says, put it away. It's like to take off a dirty shirt or something and toss it in the hamper or something. It's like, this thing's not something I want in my life. I need to get rid of it. And so it's important for us to kind of dig in a little bit to what this sin's about so that ultimately we'll turn for it for God's glory and for our good. Or to use an analogy from my profession, I'm a horse veterinarian, 
And I do a lot of uh, horse dentistry, which is a thing, and it's a very important thing. And um, habitual sin, guys, is like a bad tooth that needs to be extracted, okay? I have an extended metaphor about this, but a, a bad tooth, a, a habitual sin is like a bad tooth that needs to be extracted. I, I was um, learning from a, a, a dental expert up at Davis. He came down and he did some clinics and stuff like that, and he was really well known for extracting teeth. Like, he could get some teeth out that nobody else could get out. He was like a magician at pulling these teeth out, and he showed me how he did it, and what he did was he would get just the right instrument, and it was cool when he came down with his truck and he unrolled all his instruments. I was like, whoa, you have the tools. You know, I have a few. He was like, let me show you my forceps. I was like, that's incredible. So forceps like these. If you guys need any dental work done later, let me know. <laughs> but these are molar forceps. And um, what he showed me is, is that you, you need to find just the right tool, right? So you find just the right tool. This is a tooth I extracted this week. Isn't that nasty? Look at those roots. They're all like just disgusting. So... You just have to get the, the, the instrument on it, say this is in the gums, you have to get it on there, right on there. But what was interesting is, what I would do is when I, before I met him, is if I had the instrument on, I'm like, let's get this out, ah, and go crazy on it, right? And he's like, no, that's not what you do. You get just the right instrument on this thing, and then he put tape around the handle, so the horse is sedated, it's numb and everything, and you just let the instrument kind of hang on it. And then he'd come over and he'd wiggle it a little bit, and then he'd walk away and do some other stuff, and then he'd come back, he'd wiggle a little bit more. Because he was confident, once he had the right instrument on this thing, this thing's coming out. Me, I get all intense, I'm like, we got to get this out. You know, he's like, no, get the right instrument on this thing, it's going to come out. It's not about this huge amount of force, it's about getting the right instrument attached to it. And I'll tell you guys, this passage that I'm about to dig into is just the right instrument. It's just the right instrument to get a hold of that disgusting resentment you have, that little bitterness, that anger, to grab a hold of it, to the Holy Spirit will wiggle that thing right out. And I have here for you as well these anger cards you see on your seats. This is a whole set of instruments for removing sinful anger, okay? This is a whole set of instruments for that. And you can see there's a bunch of different ones here. And what's interesting is when I'm in a place of anger, I'm tempted to anger, tempted to bitterness, resentment, things like that. It kind of depends on where I'm at, which one of these is going to be the right passage, right? So you lay out all your instruments, and you try, oh, that one doesn't quite grab it. Okay, this one doesn't. And then you're like, this one, okay? So let me go through these with you. First one is, I want something too much, James 4, 1 through 2. Um, when we're angry, it's often a sign of an idolatry in our own hearts, something that we're worshiping other than Jesus that's got a hold of our hearts. Next one, I am not the judge. I'm not God. There's a great passage in Genesis 50, verse 19 about that, or Romans 12, 17 through 21. I'm not the judge. When I'm angry, and we're going to see that in a little bit, I am assuming that I'm the judge. I need to set things right here. I need to settle the score. Or the next one, we'll get into this one, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. God has been very gracious to me. Because sometimes that's the instrument we need. We need that gospel instrument to go like, wait a minute, if I've been given forgiveness, I need to grant forgiveness to this person. And so that's an instrument that can wiggle out that decaying anger. Or God is in control. Genesis 50 verse 20 um, is one thing. Realizing that everything I'm going through is actually under God's sovereignty, God's control. God has me in this place for a particular reason. That can be helpful, right? You see how like one of these might work better than another when you're in a particular situation? Or the last one here, uh, remember who I am in Christ. That's remembering that I am, through the gospel, free from sin. I don't have to give in to this particular sin, but I can call upon God to actually live through me. And so that's a whole set of instruments. 
um, a set of forceps that might wiggle that decaying resentment out of you. The passage this morning, guys, is super helpful as well. So what I want to do with you here in, in James here is I want to look at, let's examine the sin of anger. Let's look at its symptoms. Let's look at what the goal of anger is. And let's look at the source of anger with the whole point of repenting of it, of having that thing extracted from you. So sit back, relax. It'll be out in no time. Symptoms. Um, in, in the book of James here, he's focusing on verse 19 in symptoms of our speech. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He's speaking about anger that comes out verbally. And that's a very common thing, right? That our anger comes out verbally. But we know from the rest of Scripture that anger can come out in a bunch of different ways, right? There's silent forms of anger, and there's louder forms of anger. An angry heart evidences in a bunch of different ways. So what are the symptoms of anger? I want to give you a list of possible ways you might right now be wrestling with sinful anger, okay? It's going to be fun for you guys, okay? Here's the first one. Grudges, resentments, is anger, okay? A lot of times because you're not yelling or whatever, it might not look like anger, but grudges are anger. I love in the book Gilead where it says, I have always liked the phrase nursing a grudge because many people are so tender of their resentments as the nearest thing to their hearts. Anybody nursing a grudge, you know, it's like a little baby. You're nursing it, keeping it close to your heart, taking care of it. You don't want to give that thing up. Oh, don't take my baby, right? <laughs> resentment, right? And resentment, we, we keep turning it over in our minds. We keep this grudge alive. We keep this resentment, this bitterness alive by turning it over every single day, seeking to somehow, you know, attack the person that doesn't even know you're doing it. But as you turn it over again and again in your mind, other evidences of anger might be real subtle. Eye-rolling is a way of showing anger. Finger gestures. I'll let you decide which ones. Self-justification. You know, when we're angry, we're always self-justifying. Well, you know, even if you feel a little bit like you were at fault, you're like, no, no, you keep building that case against the other person. Um, Self-pity. You know, I'm the victim. I'm, I'm angry because I'm the victim. I'm the one that's been harmed. Um, really common one in marriage, shutting down. Okay? You can be angry and shut down. You're not yelling or anything like that. And there's a plausible deniability about that anger because you're not voicing it. But shutting down, coldness, cold shoulder, silence, um, cynicism it can be a, a fruit of anger. Apathy. You've just grown totally apathetic towards that relationship. It's a fruit of anger. Irritation, parents, is a fruit of anger. It isn't that my kids are so irritating. It's that I have an angry heart. Right? How many parents are constantly angry towards their kids? It comes out as irritation. Um, and it's justified, right? Because it's like, look at them, they're crazy. Right? Emotional distance is a form of anger. We block ourselves off from people that we're angry with. Um, lack of attraction. I was counseling a couple not too long ago. Nobody in this room, don't worry. But they were on the verge of divorce, and the wife said, I just don't have feelings for him anymore. Which is like the big trump card, right? I don't have feelings for him anymore. Can't fix that. We're done. Right? As if feelings are these kind of magical little creatures that can fly away and you can never get them back. It's like, what do we do? As I talk to her more, the reason why she didn't have feelings for this guy is she's angry at him. And she's angry at him because she hasn't forgiven this guy. And I told her, like, the reason you don't have feelings for him, positive ones at least, is that you're unforgiving. Of course, you don't have attractive feelings towards someone you're seething angry at. Like, that's the problem. It isn't that you lost the magical, you know, feeling fairy. It's that you're harboring an anger, and when that's gone, you will have feelings for him again. Um, anger can be turned inward. 
You know, self-harm, cutting, things like that can be a form of anger turned in on yourself. Substance abuse, big time, is a way of responding to anger. Suicide even. Sometimes when people commit suicide, there's, there's the thought of like, well, I'll show them. You know, and it's done out of anger. Anger can masquerade as impatience, defiance, um, passive-aggressive comments. You know, I, anybody a pro at that? You know, these plausibly deniable little comments, you know, that are made to hurt, right? Thank you for admitting it. I did it. You do it. Um, sarcastic joking is a way of, in marriage with friends, it's a way of venting anger. Um, anger sometimes does speak. It speaks sometimes through huffing, you know, that we watched that Napoleon Dynamite, right? Which is a great thing to watch with your kids because it totally eliminates them to be able to go like, I am, uh. You know, he always does that. He was like, maybe I will, uh. It's so cool to watch that with your kids because now they can never do it because they're doing what, you know, Napoleon did. We're like, so we kind of joke with them about it. Totally eliminates that from teenage years, which is super cool. Um, venting is, is a form of anger. Facebook rants, everybody participate in one. All this stuff, and it ends with, you know who you are. Okay, like that's a way of venting anger. Um, honking, road rage. Gossip is a form of anger. It's a way of kind of character assassination, of attack, slander, verbal abuse, obviously, that James is talking about here. Anger can be evidenced physically, property damage, vindictive litigation can be a form of anger, um, physical assault all the way to murder, which James does talk about later in the text. And so you might not see your anger because your anger isn't kind of the loud, dramatic type that everybody can go like, hey, you're being angry, but you're the silent, seething type. It's very deniable, right? So there's a, a range of anger there. Have you guys found it? You found the rotten tooth, haven't you? One of those, right? One of those is something that you deal with. And so those are symptoms of anger. What about the goal of anger? We have to see what anger wants. Anger wants something. What is your anger trying to accomplish? And you might say, well, nothing. I'm just mad. Not true. Your anger wants something. And James talks about that in verse 20. Take a look at it. Your anger actually wants something. It says, for anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does your anger want? Your anger wants justice. You realize that? Your anger, your anger wants justice. Your anger wants to set things right. Your anger wants to settle the score. That's what's underlying that. That's what James is saying here. When he talks about the righteousness of God, that word means justice. That means, you know, you think that by your anger, whatever you do, you're going to set things right. And you might say, well, what about righteous anger? Surely there's a place for righteous anger. Anybody thinking about that? The problem with righteous anger, and there is such a thing because Jesus did it, right? When he cleansed the temple, that was righteous anger. Went through, he's obviously angry, throwing things out, not sinning. Righteous anger. Um, the problem with righteous anger is that all anger feels righteous in the moment. Have you ever been angry and not felt righteous? It always feels righteous. That's the trick with it. And when we're angry, we are always assuming that somehow our anger is going to produce the righteousness of God, just like James talks about here. You know, it's seeing the things like, I need to tell them off. I need to tell them off. I need justice. I need to show them. I need to teach them a lesson. And this really funny situation. We're in this marriage counseling situation, and the wife was talking about her road rage, and she was talking about how she'll like, and the husband didn't like it. She'd just lay on the horn and follow the guy around for a while. I don't know when the horn stops honking. I don't know if it has a limited amount of honk. She, and, and her husband's like super embarrassing. I don't know why she does that and all this. And she goes, well, how else are they going to learn? So it's her job to teach them. 
Okay, that's what she was doing. I need to teach them a lesson. I can't let them get away with this. That's justice. You want justice. These are all statements of justice. Those angry thoughts, those words, that coldness, spouses, to, that you have toward your spouse, have a goal. They're to punish, to settle the score, to get justice. We all believe our anger is bringing justice. And James says, nope. He tells us what we already should have known, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger never sets things right. Because on our anger card, number two, you're not the judge, okay? I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. Unrighteous anger never settles the score. It just makes things worse. All we have to do is look at human history for that. You know, there's always been like, oh, I'll fix this and through my anger. And it's like, whoa, that didn't fix anything. That made it worse. And we all see that in our own lives too. So we saw the symptoms. We saw the goal. Look at the source. Where does anger come from? Where does anger come from? You might say, well, it comes from my circumstances, like if you had my marriage, if you had my kids, if you had my job, if you had my neighbor, you'd be angry too, right? Isn't that what we do? We consider that it's our circumstances. James says, no, it's actually not your circumstances. Isn't this fun? <laughs> Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now the subject hasn't changed here. We're still talking anger. That word wickedness is often translated malice. We're still talking about anger here. And that word rampant is an interesting word. And some of you have other translations. You'll see this. It has the sense of abundance or overflow or flooding or pouring out. Okay, so you're thinking, okay, my anger is overflowing from something. It's pouring out of something. It's flooding out of something. What's it flooding out of? Jesus told us. Uh, Luke 6, 45, Jesus said this. Out of the good person, the good person out of his good treasure of his good heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know where the anger comes from. It actually doesn't come from our circumstances. Those were temptations, which we learned about last week. But the anger is coming from in here, right? The anger is coming from my own heart. And it's important to know this, guys. You guys all know this. When you think about a medical thing or something, it's very important to get the diagnosis right. It's very important to know exactly where the problem really is. Because if, the pro if I think the problem is my circumstances, then, you know, I'm going to get out of that marriage. I'm going to, you know, find a way to avoid my children. I'm going to get out of that job. I'm going to move away from that neighbor, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get those toxic people out of my life. You hear about that, right? Maybe the toxin's in here, yeah. right? The anger is coming from within me. And if we don't see that it's a heart problem, guys, all the me time in the world won't fix it. All the vacations in the world won't fix it. All the purchases in the world won't fix it. All the yoga in the world will not fix it. Because a lot of times that's what we think we need, right? I need a little me time. I just need a vacation. I just need to buy something. I need to go get some food. You know, whatever it is. And it's the heart, guys. We need to know that the anger that we're drowning in is flooding out of our own hearts. And we need to know that because we need to be rescued from it. And we need a rescue that would come from within our hearts, not change circumstances, but our hearts. And thankfully, this text points us to what Jesus has for us. Take a look at verse uh, 21. He says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Okay, do you see the repenting and receiving there? He says, you know, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's the repenting, the turning. And then there's the receiving with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The good news for you this morning is that God offers you a rescue that will rescue you from the heart. It will actually rescue your heart from anger. This morning he says that he is able to save your souls. 
So how does the Lord rescue our souls from drowning in anger? And he says in verse 21, what? It's through receiving the implanted word. There's a word that if it goes in your heart, will rescue you from anger. There's a word that goes in your heart that will rescue you from anger. And what's the word? Take a look at verse 18. It's the same word that's in verse 18. He says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Guys, that word that if it gets in your heart and grows in there will free you from anger is the gospel, guys. It's the same message that saved you from hell, the same message that saved you from God's judgment will actually also save you from the anger you're drowning in in your heart. The gospel does both. Isn't that great? Because a lot of times we'll think about the gospel and we think, oh, the gospel is kind of the ABCs, that's how you become a Christian, and then the way you move forward is some other thing. But what he's saying in this text is that seed that God put in your heart that grew into faith and salvation is still growing in you, and that will free you from anger. Because, guys, if you're a Christian this morning, it's because at some point you heard the gospel, you heard the good news about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit caused you to be born again, right? That was something God did of his own will. You trusted in Jesus, and now what he's saying is that same gospel word is still growing in you. I really love what he calls it. He calls the gospel in you the implanted word. Isn't that a cool image? That's not even an illustration. It's just one word, but it's so cool. It's so rich that that seed that brought you to spiritual life and saved you is implanted in you. It's growing in you. The gospel is growing as you think upon the gospel, as you meditate on the gospel, as you repent and trust in the gospel again each time. It grows and it bears fruit. And a part of that fruit is it saves you from the anger in your hearts. You know, isn't that amazing? The same gospel that rescued you from the penalty of sin now rescues you from the power of sin. It's the way we make any progress. And so I want to show you how that works for anger. Take a look at Matthew 18, and it's really important you turn there. I'm going to kind of watch. But turn there, Matthew 18, 21, because I want to show you quickly how the gospel saves us from the anger in our hearts, how it, it saves our souls in that sense. So our souls saved in the sense of salvation, trust in Jesus, you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin, yet heaven. But the gospel has a way of saving our souls, even in this life, in freeing us from habitual sin, and in this case, anger. This is number three on the, on the anger card, by the way. God has been so gracious to me. You guys are very familiar with this passage, but it's wonderful. Matthew 18, 21. Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And a lot of us look at him and he goes, ah, but he's actually being pretty generous. How many options do you get, people? Three strikes? Right? Maybe three strikes, you're out, right? He's going seven. A lot better than a lot of us. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, ah, Peter. He says, I don't say to you seven times, but 77, 70 times seven, which, you know, you can imagine him going, get a calculator. And then he says, I'm going to tell you a story. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared with a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. See that language, settle accounts? What's that language? Justice, right? Just like we were talking about, justice. This king, he's going to settle accounts. There's a debt owed, you need to pay up, right? Verse 24. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this is a kind of parable type story. This isn't a story that actually happened. This is a story he's telling. And we, we know that because the debt this guy owes is 200,000 years wages. Okay. If you do the math on this thing, this servant owes 200,000 years worth of wages. Okay. So he's making it big. 
And since he could not pay, no joke, verse 25, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had that payment might be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything, which is impossible, but he's desperate, right? Don't throw me in prison, I'll pay you. He has no way to pay this, but he's desperate. Look at verse 27. And out of pity for the man, the master of that servant released him and forgave him all his debt. This is really cool because this isn't payment plan. This isn't like, I won't throw you in prison, but what you can do is make payments. That's not this. Cancel debt, done, gone, right? This is what the gospel's like, guys. Gospel's not a repayment plan. You know, there's a couple different types of bankruptcy. Maybe you guys are familiar with this. Chapter 7, you do that, you dissolve, okay? You can't pay anything back, it's hopeless. There's no way to pay this back. There's chapter 13, though, which is reorganizing. I can't pay it right now, but I'm going to work something out. The gospel's chapter 7. Okay? It's not reorganizing. It's not repayment. It's, I have no way to pay this. I'm going to cancel your debt. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? A lot of times we think like, oh, this is a repayment plan. This is not a repayment plan. There's no way you can do that. And if you try to somehow repay for what Jesus has done on the cross, it would be an offense, wouldn't it? It's a gift, right? It's not a repayment plan. That's what the gospel is. And it's humbling, guys. I mean, that's why he says you've got to receive it with meekness, right? There's no boasting in this. Look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is a lot. It's, a, it's about a hundred days' wages. So if somebody owed you today a hundred days' wages, that's a lot of money, okay? So we're not minimizing this debt, but it's far less than what he was owed, right? What he owed his master. He went out, found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him. So this guy that just got all of his debts canceled seizes this guy that owes him a hundred denarii, and it says he began to choke him and say, Pay me what you owe. Okay? You hear your anger in that? You know, whether it's in your words or in your thoughts or the way you turn over your mind, and you're choking that guy out, right? Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and he pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Same thing he said to his master. He refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw this, they were greatly distressed. They went and told their master all that had taken place. They're so distressed because it's so out of tune with what just happened. It's so out of tune with the gospel, full forgiveness, that you would choke out your neighbor. Then his master summons him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all the debt. So also will my heavenly father do to each one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. The fellow servants are so distressed, they tell him. And the point of this story, guys, is not that you can lose your salvation through anger and unforgiveness. The point of this story is is if you're harboring such resentments, you should question whether you really believe the gospel, right? Because if you've been forgiven like that guy was, 200,000 years wages, a debt you can never pay, that you were going to be sent to a prison... You know, which is a picture of hell because there's no way to pay that debt. I mean, when's he getting out? He's going to stay until he pays. There's no way to pay it. That's why hell's forever is because there's no way to pay it. And so here he is, freed from this. He goes right out and he chokes out some guy. We should wonder to ourselves whether we really believe the gospel if we won't forgive others. That's the point of the story. And the more you believe the gospel, and this is where I get to the implanted word, able to save your soul, the more you believe the gospel, the more ready you are to forgive other people, right? The more you remember the massive debt you've been forgiven, the more you're going to forgive others. That unpayable debt got canceled. Now you can cancel other people's debts to you. 
The same gospel that rescues you from the penalty of sin rescues you from the power of sin. The same gospel that frees you from the wrath of God to come frees you from your own anger and wrath that's flooding your heart. That's the way the gospel frees us. C.S. Lewis said this. It's so good. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. And I get pushback on that. Well, it's inexcusable. Yes, those are exactly the kind we need to forgive. Forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And you guys are probably aware, there was a massive example of this this week. right? You guys probably all thought of it while I was talking about it. But um, last year, September 6th, uh, Amber Geyer, she's an off-duty patrol officer in Dallas. Um, she, she comes into the apartment of a 26-year-old accountant, Botham Jean, and shot him. And later she had said that she thought it was her house, and she thought he was an intruder, and, and all this. And he was shot dead. And this guy was, you know, I mean, any person shouldn't be shot dead in their own home. But this guy's an accountant, he's a believer, he was, you know, wonderful guy. And uh, one year later, which was this Tuesday... Um, she was found guilty for murder. On Wednesday, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And uh, Botham Jean's brother, Brant, was allowed to do one of those victim, um, victim impact statements. So at the end, you know, they sentence everything. People are able to say how they were harmed by the, by the um, person that was convicted. And so uh, Botham Jean's brother, Brant, said this. He said, um, if you are truly sorry, I can speak for myself. I forgive. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you too. And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, but I love you, just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die, just like my brother did, but I presently want only the best for you. And I wasn't even going to say this in front of my family or anyone else, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you, because I know that's exactly what both of them would have wanted for you. And the best would be for you to give your life to Christ, is what he says. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing. It would be the thing that both of them would have wanted for you. Again, I love you as a person. I don't wish any bad on you. And then he turns to the judge. He goes, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug? Please, please. And so there's that you know, huge hug that happened there. Guys, the gospel rescued Brant from the flood of anger that wanted to drown him. You can imagine what had happened after his brother was shot dead in his own apartment, totally innocently. You can imagine how anger wanted to flood his heart and drown him out. But guys, he's a believer, and he could forgive and lay aside that anger because he received with meekness the implanted word, right? And so Jesus had saved Brant's soul from the righteous anger of God to come, but also from the anger that wanted to drown him in his heart. And I want to say to you guys this morning, Jesus is able to save your soul too from both, today. He's able to do that. He's willing to do that. That offer is there for you. And, and some people have actually criticized Brant's forgiveness um, throughout the media, and you've seen that too. There's always some other way to look at it. But guys, it's because forgiveness like, like that, it looks weak to the world. It looks like letting people walk away, walk all over you, or letting evil win. But guys, Jesus, in Jesus, we see Almighty God became a man, and he let himself die an unjust death on the cross. And as he's dying, what did he do? He forgave him. And what looks weak to the world, the cross, the cross looks super weak to the world. They're like, 
You thought you, could, you were somebody, you thought you were the son of God, we're going to pin you to wood and show you you're nothing, right? He looks weak, he forgives as he dies. But guys, that was the most powerful act in human history, in history, was the death of Jesus on the cross for us. That was something only God can do. And this kind of forgiveness I'm talking about is something only God can do, and he will do it through you. And you might say, well, forgiveness hurts, and it does, okay? A lot of times people say, well, you know, I can't forgive this person because it hurts too much. I'm not in a place where I can do it. Forgiveness is a promise you make towards another person before the Lord that you are relying on the Lord to keep, okay? You don't wait till you can do it. You grant it as something you know you should do, and then you call on the Lord to give you strength to keep that promise to forgive. Does that make sense? Because we don't wait until we feel that we can do it. Because it does hurt, guys. True forgiveness always involves absorbing pain without dishing it back. If you're not absorbing pain without dishing it back, it's not forgiveness. Especially in the beginning stages, it's very painful. On the cross, that's exactly what we see. We see Jesus absorbing pain that was due all your sin without dishing it back. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. As the judge of the world, Jesus had every right to settle the score with you and to make you pay everything you owe. And instead, God absorbed the pain that your sin deserves without dishing it back. And so to truly forgive and truly lay aside anger will always involve absorbing pain without dishing it back. You will feel, proverbially, the nails, the blood, the sweat, and the tears if you really forgive somebody. When you forgive great evil, you're reflecting in some small way your Savior Jesus who did the same thing, and you're not going to do it by yourself. That's the cool thing. The same one that was able to be nailed to that cross for you and die for your sins was able to have the muscle strength to authentically forgive people that pierced him is the same person, if you're a Christian, lives in you now and will do that through you. And so you can rely on him to do it. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Father, we thank you for the soul-examining, heart-examining, mind-examining power of your word. And we pray, Lord, that we will always be a people that believe in the authority of your word. That we won't stand above your word. That we won't try to explain your word away. That we won't question, critique, minimize. But that we will stand under, below your word, and let you speak to us and examine our hearts. And we just pray, Lord, Psalm 139, search us and know us. See if there is any wicked way in us, and then lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, the good news is, is that there's no sin in this room that is more powerful than the blood of your son, Jesus. Lord, there's nothing, nothing in this room, no sin in this room that we cannot walk out of this place completely cleansed of. Amazing. I just pray, Lord, for those who are here that, that don't know you or are not certain that they have that, Lord. I pray that they would seek you this morning and they would, would receive with meekness, with humility, the word given this morning. That it would be to them a rescue, both from the judgment to come and the mess our hearts put us in now. We just thank you so much, Lord. You have been so gracious to us. And so as we take communion 
We want to say glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning and is now and forever will be. Amen. So uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. If you're a Christian, if you're trusting in the things that I talked about, then you are very welcome to come forward. And you should come forward. And when we come before the Lord, we repent and receive at the Lord's Supper too. We repent of our anger. And so this is a great time as you grab the bread and the cup to repent of, to let go, to drop any resentments, any coldness, any self-pity, any irritation, impatience, um, words that you want to speak in anger. You would just turn from your desire to make other people pay and that you'd forgive. Everybody you can think of, you forgive me. Lord, I, I want to forgive every single person in my life. And I want you to give me the power to do that. And, and as we turn from that, then we receive the goodness of God. And as we take this, it reminds us that we've received Jesus' forgiveness. We've received his word implanted in us that, that it's able to save our souls and transform us. We receive his renewal. What's so cool about turning from your sin is that you receive renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's so many things that we're blocking out of our lives that we could be living in, right? Like we could have more of his felt presence. We could have more of the Spirit at work in our hearts. We could have the joy of our salvation back. And we get that when we turn from our sin and trust in him. And so we invite anyone who's trusting in Jesus to come forward and take this. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.